Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. My name is Tammy Coker, and I'm the Executive Director for New Life Family Services. And New Life has been around since 1973, offering help and hope to those facing an unplanned pregnancy. We do that through three primary service areas. One, we're a licensed adoption agency, serving both birth families and adoptive families all the way through the process. Secondly, our storefront locations, those are called First Care Pregnancy Center, where we serve those facing an unplanned pregnancy. And then our third program is our Conquerors Abortion Recovery Program for those who have experienced abortion in their past and are now struggling with that decision. So nine years ago, we did a huge strategic plan where we were trying to envision where we would want to open a new facility somewhere in an urban area. So we created a task force and we determined that the Phillips community in Minneapolis is where we wanted to be. Basically, we looked at where the abortion clinics were located and some of the common threads there were low income areas, high rates of diversity, easy access to bus stops. There are a lot of great social services that are happening in Phillips but there's a significant lack of life-affirming pregnancy and parenting support. So it wasn't until about five years ago we really began looking for a space in Phillips and we began fundraising for the project. So we ended up purchasing properties, which we never imagined. We leveled the properties and we built from scratch. So we now have a 12,600 square foot facility that is getting ready to open in the next few weeks where we have not only our largest pregnancy center but we also are partnering with a full service medical clinic that is going to provide all medical services for our clients and the community at large. In Cedar Valley and the Kingdom Builders um, project was an incredible blessing to us because you are literally helping make this a reality. Everything we do relies solely on the generosity of people supporting us, so churches, individuals, all of that. I mean, it really is the vision of the body of Christ where we each have a role to play in that. And when we come together and work together as the body of Christ, God-sized things happen. Yes. And thank you to all of you who are faithful in your KB giving. We are so blessed with the opportunity to partner with great organizations all throughout our community. Thank you. Let's never stop being generous in our giving. Good morning to everybody. So nice to see you this morning. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. Those watching online, thank you so much for being a part of this experience. We know that many within the Twin Cities area watch on a regular basis, but we also know that there's other people in different places all around uh, the nation and in other parts of the world who tune in weekly. So whether you're at your cabin, at the ocean, or at a restaurant, or in your basement, thank you for being a part uh, of this wonderful uh, experience. One thing I'd like to let you know about right off the bat is we are so happy to announce that we have a new podcast, Cedar Valley Podcast. Our first episode is now live anywhere you listen to podcasts. All you have to do is put Cedar Valley Church. You'll find our podcast there. If you'd like to go directly to the website, just go to our main page, go to media, scroll down to podcast, click it, and you are there. Our first guest is none other than Neil Rich, our lead pastor. And so please go listen to the podcast and look forward to the next one. Like I said, and I just want to take a moment as well and recognize my mother, who is a faithful viewer every single week. Happy Mother's Day to you, uh, my mom. Also to my beautiful wife, Crystal. Happy Mother's Day. 
uh, to you as well. She's serving in kids' church this morning. And then I also want to recognize the mother of the house, Miss Kim. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day to you as well. We love you. Uh, we love you so much. And I highlighted in this thing, mother. I mean, is there a greater title on the face of the planet? I know I'm not a mother, I'm a father, but what a privilege to be a parent, right? Heavy responsibility, amazing privilege to be a parent. Aren't you so thankful for the opportunity you and I have to raise children and to see them grow and develop? So much joy comes from being a parent, one of the greatest titles on the face of the earth. And then I thought about some titles that I've had in my life outside of being a father. I was in college in Dallas and uh, one hot summer I, I landed a job and I thought this was gonna be a high paying job because it was a specialist. This is the job that I landed. I was a bug and tire specialist at a car wash, $5 an hour. I'll tell you what, man, I was thrilled. Hot sun, water, you give me the brush, no one scrubbed them, head, them headlights like I did. Uh, yeah, it was, it was deceiving. Specialist that didn't pay like a specialist at all. And so then I just got a little curious to wonder how many other people are out there who are specialists or have some funny titles. And I just kind of wanted to share some with you. This guy is a cat behavior consultant. So if by chance on Mother's Day you have some cats who are out of control, you might want to find Jackson Galaxy. Another one is Lonnie Johnson's a professional snuggler. So listen, if for some reason you're missing snuggles in your life, all right, Lonnie Johnson might be the guy to call. Last one for you, Carrie Lang is a therapist, right? Different, it's a different kind of experience, right? She looks into the hair, it's, it's, it's awesome, right? Thank you, Carrie, for my haircut yesterday. Anyway, how, how, about, um, how about this title? This one might shock you, how about Christian? No? A poll in America, 2019, done by Ignite America, well, asked the question, what is your faith? 75% of people who live in America clicked the box, Christian. 250 million people in the United States of America identified themselves as a Christian. Our world would be very different if 75% of Americans were, our churches would be amazingly different if 75% of the body were faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So I went to Google and I just put Christian, like what does Google identify, like who are Christians according to Google? Someone whose behavior and heart reflects Jesus Christ. I was like, that's great Google, you got that right. So then here's the problem, it's not the belief, it's the behavior, it's the gap between the belief and the behavior of followers of Christ. That's really kind of where we're at this morning. We've got to talk about that gap. So the question for you today, the question for me that I've been wrestling with all throughout the week and people ask this question all the time, maybe you have found yourself asking this question. What does it mean to actually be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Here's what we know to be true. To be a Christian, it is so much more than just a title. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to read our primary text. That is found in Luke chapter 5. 
For those of you who are visiting with us, and I do want to take a moment and recognize my buddy Steve and his wife Barbara in the house this morning, and I'd like for you to welcome them. We, uh, we work together here in the city of Bloomington on a few different committees, and I just am so thrilled that you showed up. You, you told me you were going to surprise me, and you did, and I'm so thankful that you did. Thanks for coming out, Steve. All right, so what is a Christian? Some would say, well, it's someone who believes in God. Some would say, well, it's someone who does more good than bad. That's the question we're going to answer today. So we're going to read chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. I'll read it for you. Here we go. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. We believe that your word is our authority. It's alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. We honor your word today. We give reverence to your word today. We acknowledge that it is power and living. And we thank you that you're going to speak to us today. Regardless of where we are today, we trust that you will meet us right where we are like you always do. Lord, we pray a special blessing upon every mother in this house and every guest who came with a mother. Lord, thank you for them. Lord, bless us all today in your word in Jesus' precious name we pray and together everyone said amen. amen you may be seated all right so we're going to put verse one here on our screen as we work through our passage and I just kind of want to give you a picture of kind of where we are as Neil alluded to last week he has this description for Israel it's like a strip of bacon right cut into thirds the top third of that is Galilee, the middle section is Samaria, and the lower section is Judea. A lot of where we see Jesus' ministry taking him to is to kind of three significant areas. Jerusalem in Judea, uh, Nazareth in Galilee, and Capernaum, which is like his home base, right? Last week in our teaching, Jesus was in Nazareth where he is born and raised, right? Not welcome in his own home. Remember last week's message. Today's message, we find Jesus in Capernaum, right, which is at the shore of Lake Galilee. That'll make more sense to you because you're in Minnesota. We have lakes everywhere. They called it seas. We call them lakes, right? It wasn't an ocean. It was a lake. And that's where we find uh, this story. It's also important to know that Jesus, by this time, has now gone viral. 
Last week, I loved it when Neil said how he had social media, it would just be like, 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 like. I mean, this dude, his, his, the news about Jesus is spreading everywhere. Jesus is doing things never seen. I mean, just unbelievable things. He's gone viral and now people are absolutely surrounded him. So Luke chapter five, verse one says one day, and listen, it wasn't like from one day to the next. These are long journeys, right? So Bloomington will be Nazareth. You would go to about Stillwater for Capernaum, right? From Capernaum to Jerusalem's like to Rochester, right? And it isn't modern day travel, friends. This is like walking the dirty roads up and down hills and mountainsides and cliffs, right? Jesus is walking. He's exhausted. He's going from one place to the next. And he is teaching. He is teaching. So one day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. Great crowds. Too many to count. A large sum of people are pressing into him. What's funny about that is it's the same word in last week's message where they were pressing into him, pressing into him, backing him off to the edge of the cliff. Same kind of pressing, like they're getting close to him. They're fighting to get to him. I think it's kind of like Justin Bieber at the Target Center on Friday night, like screaming, Bieber, Bieber. This is Jesus, right? Like, they're like, get out of my way. I want to touch Jesus. I want to see Jesus. I've heard about this Jesus. A few verses before chapter five, you see that Jesus one night, just a drive through of miracles, just drive through. They brought people to Jesus who were sick. Jesus would touch them and they were healed. They would bring people to Jesus who had an ailment in their body. Jesus touch them and they're healed. They bring Jesus, someone who's possessed by demons. Jesus touch them, demons flee. Right, Peter himself had already seen Jesus come and raise his mother-in-law who was sick with fever. The fever left, Jesus has gone viral and people are searching for Jesus and Jesus is honestly looking for some solitude. Like he's trying to get away from them and these people find him. It's like the ultimate paparazzi, right? There he is and they just bum rush to get around Jesus. That's kind of what's happening. So here he is finding himself on the shore of the lake. Can't go any more, can't go any further. You're there, you're at the water's edge. People are surrounding him, they wanna hear him speak. So he looks for, you know, he, he notices two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. And I thought it was a great place to pause and just, all right, so, so Jesus is surrounded by this crowd. He sees two boats, they're empty, but off to the side, these men are washing their nets because that's what fishermen do when they're done fishing. They take care of their stuff. They're busy, they're exhausted. They had night watch. They were fishing all night long. They didn't catch anything. We'll learn about their disappointment in just a moment, but they're scrubbing their nets. They're scrubbing their nets and Jesus sees this opportunity to create space from himself and the crowd, right? He's creating space from him and the crowd, right? He's trying to get away from them just a little bit. So this is what he does. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. A few things that I think we can really learn from this. The first is this, Jesus creating space from him and the crowd, sees a boat, sees an opportunity, and he asks its owner, Simon, hey, will you take the boat out a little bit and just kind of position it right in the center of the crowd so I can speak to them all? 
Now, it's customary for the teacher to sit in the synagogue and teach, right? Have you ever heard people say, it's, it, you know, the, the message never changes, it's the method, right? Jesus started that whole thing. Jesus, same message, now a different method. He's sitting in a boat, not a synagogue, sitting in a boat. I love that because he takes, you know, it's the platform by which, you know, he's, he's ministering with the platform that's right in front of him. And I think to all of us in this room, I think it's important for us to just note for a moment and just recall, like, what is the platform that God has given you to teach, to live, to be an example, to, to reflect Jesus? Like, just think for a moment. He didn't, he didn't have to get the perfect stage or find the perfect platform. He just grabbed the boat, set it right in the middle, sat down and began to teach the word of God. Unbelievable. He's exhausted. He wants to get away from these people, yet he gives these people what they want. They want to hear him teach. And he does that. I love that. I love the fact that he turns his, his, this boat into his platform. It speaks to me. It means that everywhere I go, there's an opportunity for me to share Jesus with other people. And everywhere you go, it's an opportunity for you to share Jesus with other people. Don't ever underestimate what God is doing in your life today. Don't ever look past the opportunities God is giving you today with your neighbor or in the workplace or at the marketplace, wherever it may be. Remember, Jesus taught out of a boat. You can teach wherever it is that you are. Luke chapter 5 verse 4 goes on to say, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. So he finishes teaching the large crowd. And again, because he's trying to escape, he's trying to find some solitude, some rest. He now tells Peter, hey, can you take this boat out into the deeper waters? Because now I want to go from teaching the crowd. I want to go and I want to start teaching you. I want to have a moment with you, Peter, and I want to get away from the crowd. I want to get away from the people. Can you take me out into deeper waters? And, 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 and when we get out there, I'm going to challenge you to do something. Man, a special part of the story happens as they go out into the deeper waters. Consider Peter, how frustrated he is all night long fishing fishing. This was, his, this was his profession. This is how he took care of his family. This is how he provided. This is what he did. He was a professional uh, in this part. And, and, and Jesus tells him to let down his nets. Wow, what a, what a special uh, what, a, what a special task. And, and so Peter, his response is master. And I had to pause here to think, remember what a title this is. You don't just call anybody master. I mean, you gotta be something special for someone to call you master. Now they had seen and heard a lot of what Jesus had done. Peter saw something in Jesus. Peter saw power in Jesus. Peter was moved by something that he saw and witnessed by being in the presence of Jesus. And here Jesus is asking Peter to drop down his nets in the deeper waters after a long night shift. And Peter's response is, but master, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. In essence, what I see Peter telling Jesus is, look, you are a carpenter, I am a fisherman. I know these waters. I do this shift every night. 
I know what fish like. I know where fish go. Jesus, please stay in your lane. I, I know you're a great man, but leave the fishing to me and you continue to do the things that you do. It made absolutely no sense what Jesus was asking Peter to do. But because Peter acknowledged that there was something different in Jesus, Peter's response was, if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Think about moments in your life when Jesus has spoken to you and it did not make any sense. It didn't make any sense. You wondered, why would you be asking me for this? Why would you be asking this of me? Stay in your lane. I know what I'm doing. I got here because I'm smart. I, under, I understand the field that I'm in. Why would you be asking me to do something like that, Jesus? Now you know how Peter felt. So Peter actually obeys. And when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees. You know what happened? The nets became so full of fish that the boat began to sink. It was so full of fish that the boat began to sink. So he had to call on his neighbor friends and tell them, come, bring, bring your boats, bring your boats. We've got to get some of these fish out of these nets or we are going to sink. Now they go from being absolutely dry. Peter in one, in one text says, we didn't even catch a minnow last night. Now Jesus has commanded every fish in the lake, get in those nets. And now those nets are so full, boats are about to sink. They're sharing fish, giving away fish, giving away fish just so that they don't sink in their boat. And when Peter saw this miracle happen right in front of his eyes, you know what his response was? He fell to his knees. He fell to his knees. To me, that's the perfect starting point posture for every day. It's the moment that Peter no longer saw Jesus like this, but he began to see Jesus like this. He was awestruck at the miracle that Jesus had performed. He was awestruck with what Jesus had just done. He fell to his knees. He fell to his knees before Jesus and he said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck. Lord, what a title. What a title. To call somebody Lord. When I read the survey of the Americans who identified as Christian, my thought was it's so much different to be a Christian who says, I just love the fact that he's my savior. It's different when you say he's my Lord. We all want him to be our savior. We all want him to save us from our circumstances. But for Jesus to be your Lord is a completely different conversation. For Jesus to be your Lord is a completely different conversation. It's a full surrender. It is a full surrender to him. Peter is acknowledging this right before us in this story. He sees him as Lord. 
You challenged me to do something that I was afraid to do. And listen, we, it's just important that we realize how much work actually goes into that. To row the boat out into the deep waters was no easy task. It wasn't like he went to the motor in the back and just went out for a few feet. No, you have got to row that boat out to where you are. A fishing boat is no yacht, my friend. It's a completely different kind of experience. Yet Peter, because Jesus said so, obeyed. And that's the mark of a Christian. If you say so. If you say so. It's the gap between belief and behavior. You see, people will see Jesus in you by the way that we behave. They, people will say that's what it looks like to be a Christian. Sometimes people don't want to come to church because they say the Christian that I know is no different than me. The person who I know who's a Christian is no different than me, meaning that their behavior, there really is no difference. Oh, but true believers of Christ, true followers of Jesus, our behavior reflects Jesus Christ. That is a Christian. Jesus didn't stop asking for Peter there. Jesus goes on to say, don't be afraid, Peter. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Peter was a married young man. So imagine him going home and saying, hey, babe, I just want you to know. I left my boat and my nets at the lake today. Like I'm done with that. I'm actually going to follow Jesus. What do you, why? Because he asked me to. And there's just something in me that feels so compelled to follow him. I just see something different in him. I want to follow him. I want to give him my life. That's what I want to do. I want to give him my life. Jesus interrupted these very busy people's lives. They were out working, doing the right things, and Jesus showed up. And sometimes you wonder, man, God, why are you interrupting? I'm busy. Don't you see? I'm already active. I'm giving. I'm busy. And Jesus keeps showing up, asking for more. He tends to interrupt busy people and ask for more. So don't be surprised when Jesus shows up once again and asks you for more. That's just the nature of God. But here's the question that I have for you regarding Peter is, why would they do that? Why would Peter and Andrew and James and John, why would they leave their boats? Why would they leave their nets? And why would they leave it all to follow Jesus? To follow Jesus. I think about a story 55 years to the day. It was a Mother's Day, 1967. My grandpa took his family to church. My dad was 16 years old. Very toxic home, very abusive, domestic violence, alcohol abuse, you name it, all of that. But a neighbor friend of my grandpa invited him to church on a Mother's Day, 1967. And on that day, my grandfather surrendered his life to Jesus. Jesus asked him, will you let down your net? And my grandpa, I mean, absolutely confused. I don't even know what you're asking me for. I don't even, I'm not even sure what that means. But if you say so, yes. And so my dad, two years after, uh, after serving Jesus, 15, 16, he accepts the call of God in his life at 17, moves to San Antonio, Texas to go to Bible school. 
You know, in Saginaw, Michigan at that time, the dream job was to work at GM. No, but God calls him to go to Bible school and he goes to Bible school. Why would he do that? Because Jesus said so. He shows up to a school, Latin American Bible Institute, San Antonio, Texas, and he meets this beautiful woman named Grace. He falls in love with her, marries her, and when they graduate college, they move to this small town called Taos, New Mexico, where they begin to pastor a church, a small church. Now my dad is living miles and miles and miles and miles away from his family. You know, he would never relocate to live next to mom and dad. Why would you ever want to raise your children away from your parents? You know, one of the greatest joys for me is to see my babies interact with my parents. Why would you want to live anywhere else? Why would you want to raise your children away from your parents? Because Jesus said so. And after some years in Taos, he'd moved to Memphis. Why would you leave your, 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 your mother-in-law's family? Why would you do that and go to Memphis, Tennessee? Because Jesus said so. And then after a few years in Memphis, he would go to Fort Collins, Colorado, and pastor a church there. Why would you leave? Why wouldn't you just stay and put some roots down and enjoy life and get a bass boat and go bass fishing and do some barbecue? And in Memphis, come on, because Jesus said so. 55 years later, our life is completely different because of a Mother's Day, 1967 in Saginaw, Michigan. After my grandparents relocated from a Mexican border town, everything changed because Jesus said so. I often think of the missionaries who are all over the world and reaching uh, people groups who have never heard the message of Jesus Christ. Just today, I stood behind Seth and Anna and held their baby shepherd, and they just moved from Tanzania. They just moved from Tanzania and they're here to finish medical school. And guess where they plan to return? To Tanzania. My friends, why would you raise a child in Tanzania? Because... Jesus said so. There are missionaries who are funded by Cedar Valley Church for many, many years in places that we can't even tell you where they are because it is so dangerous. Their life is in danger every single day. Why would you choose to raise your children in such a dangerous place? Because Jesus said so. So you may live somewhere that you don't desire to live, but you live there because Jesus said so. You might work somewhere where you'd say, this is not where I dream of being, but I'm doing this because I truly feel that this is what Jesus said to do. I live in different places of the world. I've given my life to Jesus. I've actually said to him, wherever you call me, I will go. Like there's people sitting in this room today that I truly believe if God came and knocked on the door of your heart and said, I want you to pick up everything you have and I want you to go or I want you to sell everything you have and I want you to go, I believe with all of my heart. There are people in this room today who would stand up and say, absolutely, if you say so. Is there really any risk when you're certain you've heard the voice of God? I wonder if there's people who are here today who say, honestly, I have not relinquished this part of my life because I like where I live. I like what I do. I know that there's a call of God in my life, but I have stayed away from it because I like what I'm doing. And Jesus might just be asking you, would you put down your net? Would you drop down your net? and see what I will do in your life. There's people in this room who have given so much money to the field, so much money. Your friends look at you and say, why in the world would you give a church so much money? Because he said so. 
we realize that every great blessing comes from him. Every great blessing. You're blessed because he blessed you. And, and when you figure this whole thing out, you begin to realize I'm a hub of generosity. I am God's hands extended. That's why you give so much away. People say, why do you give so much of your money away? He said so. He just comes and knocks on the door of my heart. And when he does, I look at him and say, master, this makes no sense whatsoever. But if you say so, I will. And then you get to see the miracle on the other side. Isn't it unbelievable? Isn't it unbelievable? All right, so our big so what? It's going to shock you if you say so. Would you just say it if you say so? All day long, you're going to be thinking if you say so. And the next time God knocks on the door of your heart like tomorrow morning, your response is going to be if you say so. And just so you know, the questions will never stop. The conversation will never stop. I just suggest you invite him into the boat every day. Every day, Jesus, get into my boat and keep challenging me. Speak to me because a true follower of Christ is not just one who believes, but one who behaves. That's a follower of Jesus Christ, my friend. Just because you believe in God doesn't mean you're a follower of Christ. A follower of Christ lets go of the net when Jesus says to let go of the net. That's a follower of Jesus Christ. And every single one of us are blessed with the opportunity to turn our workplace, our marketplace, our employees, our families into platforms. I'm an I'm a AAU basketball coach. I love it. It's a platform for me to shine the light of Jesus into people. Listen, I was at a game a couple Sundays ago. I was not at church. There was more people in that gym than there are in this service right now. And I'm like, well, no wonder nobody's in church on Sundays. Everybody's playing basketball. Somebody's got to be here. Somebody's got to be here to reach these families. So let's go back out into our world. Let's go into our world and let's be Jesus. Let's turn our boats into platforms and say, listen, I'm going to tell you about the love of Jesus Christ by the way I live my life. 